You're listening to River Church Podcast. To learn more about River Church or to support us financially, please visit us online at rivercolumbia.com. We hope that you enjoy this week's message. First John 3.16, by this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Come on, let's read it again in case we didn't hear it. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Let's read it one more time. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. If anybody ever asks you, how do you know God loves you? There is only one answer. There is, it's not, you know, if Connor comes up to me and asks me, you know, how, how do you know God loves you? Well, he's given me a family. He's given me a wife. He's given me this. That's so not true. That's not how I know he loves me. That's how I know he's good. He just keeps giving me things because he's just abundantly generous. But there is one way, and to what Colton is saying, I just wanted to, I mean, the Holy Spirit was already bugging me about this before Sophie started singing that verse. Some of you guys can't sing along sometimes because, you know, maybe you just need to get in the Word a little bit longer, and you'll be like, oh, I recognize that. Sophie's singing a literal Bible verse, you know, and she's singing, by this we know love. And the Lord was, like, already bugging me about this this morning of just, like, really anchoring our hearts in the simple, like, freeing reality. It is nothing but a prison to try to quantify as Colton was just testifying. And I don't feel the need to add too much to it because it was just beautiful what he and Joseph were testifying to. But it is nothing but a prison and an exhausting game to try to find out that God loves you through any other means. It doesn't happen that way. It only happens through his son, Jesus. And how does that look? It looks like you having faith like a fool to believe that he bled and died for you. Yeah. Something Pierce and I have been doing. And God only knows, truly, God only knows what's happening in the spiritual realm when we do this. Is if we're worshiping, you know, uh, I'll just be like, hey, think about Jesus. Close your eyes and think about Jesus. And he goes. <laughs> and then he goes, looks at me. If I, my eyes are still closed and if I'm looking at him, my eyes aren't closed. And I was like, oh, and then we go back. And I just, and right now it's kind of lighthearted. But I like, I, I so, I so want him just to think about Jesus. I so want to encourage you and I, and I know the Lord just encourages me. The Holy Spirit encourages me just to put my mind on him. This is what Jesus, part of what Jesus has in mind when he's saying, seek first the kingdom of heaven and everything else will be added to you. But there is just to equip you with good understanding, (laughs) simple understanding. A lot of people make a shipwreck of their faith because they get this twisted. If they don't know this, it's super important. John, by the way, the reason he was writing this letter He's writing a letter to a bunch of people. This is early on in the church and a bunch of people who were starting to quantify the love of God by spiritual gifts, spiritual appearances and how much they knew about the word. And they would, you know, know that God loved them. If God, in their words, they would, it would be something like this. I know that God loves me by the revelation he gives me about this and this and this and this. Specifically for that community that John was writing about and he was rebuking, calling them liars. Tough calling them antichrist, even tougher, is they were, they were saying they had like continual revelation about how God loves them. He's like, no, 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 God, we know God loves us by one way and one way only, and that is that he gave his life for us. And also, all of your like spiritual activity is cool and all, but we actually are called to do the same. We're called to lay down our life. And that's how we know that we know God loved us, is if we're doing the same thing. It's one thing to conceptually know God loves me. It's another thing for me to believe it. And if I believe that, it will lead me to laying my life down. 
Every single time. There is no such thing as believing in the love of Jesus and living a selfish life. No such thing. You can believe in the ideal or ideas of Jesus without believing the fact that he loved you. This is what American Christianity is really popular for, unfortunately, is liking the ideals, picking and choosing the capitalistic things that fit into your life and not knowing that he loves you. Because to know that he loves you takes vulnerability, honesty, openness, humility to say, I need to be loved. I'm dead. I need your help, God. It doesn't take much to be like, oh, I liked what he taught there. I'm going to apply that to my life so I have a nice big savings account. Steward my talents, great. Leave the man out of it. It's not Christianity. I need to know he loves me. When I know that he loves me, when I really believe in that, it makes, it makes the call higher than just uh, knowing about the idea of God's love. When I believe that with all my heart, heart when I believe that, I remember this driving down uh, 76 in Irma after I met Jesus, and I like, I just knew... I knew, I knew, I knew I was dead. I was just popping all kinds of pills just to make it through a double shift at a restaurant, doing this, that, and the other, just like totally living carnally. And just, I knew, my soul knew. I wouldn't have been able to say this, but in my soul, I knew I was so dead. I was living, but I was so dead. And that is the truth, as Colton said, for every single person without Jesus because of sin, not because of just your bad actions, but sin ruled us once. And I knew that I was dead. And as soon as I believed I had heard about Jesus' love for me for a long time. My sister was so much, I mean, just she just got it quicker than I did. And so she would testify of the Lord's love to me all the time. And I would make fun of her, and I would make fun of her, and I would make fun of her, and I would make fun of her. I've told you all this before. One day she invited me to FCA before school. And this was back in the stage of life where I was getting into drugs and all that kind of stuff. We'd drive to school together. They did FCA before school, which is really trying to see if people want to actually follow Jesus. I mean, that's just not the wisest time, I don't think, to do it. I also, I didn't want to go to school, let alone go to some Christian club at, you know, 7.30 earlier. And so I'm like, yeah, 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 I'll go. She kept on asking me to go with her. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll go with you. And this is so horrible. But I decided that I was going to tell her I was going to go with her just to lie to her, basically, and just to shut her up. And so I was going to go, which I did. I got in the car. We're driving to school. We get there. And as soon as we get there, we're walking in. This is kind of makes my heart hurt. I've had to apologize to my sister a gajillion times for this. She's like, stop apologizing to me. But I'm like, I still kind of feel guilty. Lord, am I forgiven? Um, but like we're walking into, back then, Chapin High School was a lot smaller. We're walking into where they had it in the auditorium. And I just did a right to go smoke some weed with my friends. And I knew what I was doing the whole time. And she's just like, and, you know, she's gracious enough to not make me come inside. But, I mean, I knew that I needed to be there. Y'all are like, geez, you're awful. It's like, well, I needed Jesus. And I found him, or he found me. I knew that I needed to be loved. I had heard about the love of God. But I, when I believed that I loved Jesus or that he loved me, what happened was my life started to look just like his in a thousand different ways. And so I just innately wanted to serve people. I didn't make a decision to do that. I just started going to school lunches because that's how the people at the church I was at told me I could serve other people. So I went to school lunches, which, by the way, if you want to feel as awkward as you could possibly feel in life, just be a 22-year-old rolling up to a seventh-grade school lunch. And you're there because your student pastor told you to go to a school lunch to tell them about student ministry. I remember sitting down. Some of y'all were in these lunches. I remember sitting down and just being like, okay, uh, what's up, guys? They're like, 
seventh graders are ruthless. Like, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, that's a good question, man. I don't know. And I like kind of could talk about Jesus, but also kind of couldn't. But it was just, I remember like being wrecked on the way to school lunches on 76 of just like, oh my gosh, God loves me. He loves everyone. People got to know about this. And this is just what, again, my pastor at the time told me, you want to serve? All right, awesome. Here, serve in the student ministry. Go to school lunches. We need to tell people about, you know, fuse. And so I did that and felt, I mean, just sweating awkward, you know, and that takes a lot. It takes a lot for me to sweat to be awkward. And I was, I was just like, this is just painfully. I remember Irmo Middle School just being like, what am I doing here? Questioning it so much. Um, but when we believe that he loves us, like truly believe that, not just know about it. When we've come to a place of trust, belief, faith in the fact that he loves us, our life will look just the same. And so it creates this like almost higher standard where I can't just go talking about how God loves me frivolously without actually considering, as Colton said, like, uh, what did you call it? Uh, an honest audit? Yeah. I love that. It's amazing. First I've heard of it. I guess okay. okay, nice. Shout out to Katie. But like without actually considering, does my life match up to this? Um, Let's go to Matthew 7. I'm going to continue testifying today before we get into Matthew 7. And then jump into a few things really simply. And then we're going to wait on the Holy Spirit. We're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit because it is necessary according to the scriptures. I want to read this letter that the Lord put on my heart a long time ago to write to River or whoever would consider themselves a part of River. Um, By the way, we kind of a couple of things uh, we do, I guess, a little bit differently, maybe than your normal or what you've experienced. We don't really have like membership as much as we have an opportunity for you to partake of the church. Um, If you call yourself a believer, the way you partake and participate in River because there's like membership just irks me a little bit because it's like we're not like trying to give you some kind of status like that's just kind of yeah. but um for lack of better terms we can call it membership in terms of like the way that you partake of the body of christ and participate in it and river becomes your home it's not by just attending on a sunday it's by like signing up to be in a house church submitting to the authority within our house within that and so we have like what is it four house churches right now that meet a couple of different people lead those house churches together and we meet every wednesday and that's just going to be a like rhythm of ours for for the foreseeable future if not forever because what we what we want to do is we want to all become according to the scriptures we're to become people that live out the work of ministry so god blesses a few people apostles prophets evangelists teachers shepherds he blesses them with gifts as gifts they are the gift to then equip the saints which is you and me if you say if you say you believe in jesus and have been baptized in water of your own decision raise your hand sweet you're a saint of the most high hallelujah Great calling, not just a status. That is like that word saint, hagios, means you have been made holy to live holy. Like you've been made holy so that you would represent God to the world. It's like it's not just like status and identity as much as it is informing our responsibility in the world. And so when you were baptized in water, under the water, just like Jesus and just like the early church, and you were brought above the water, you were encouraged you were sealed with the holy spirit according to the scriptures and you became a saint 
became a holy one because God made you holy, not because you got baptized, but because God made you holy. That's what that whole, like when we baptize Emma today, what we're, what we're treasuring and why it's something to be honored and celebrated is not so much a decision that Emma's made. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to be thankful for what God has done for all of us who have put our trust and faith in Jesus, where he has made us holy because I could not make myself holy. He's washed me clean. Right? And so you partake of river. You participate in river by uh, participating in a house church. Um, and we, again, meet Wednesdays. We try to live this stuff out. You want to be equipped to do the work of ministry. Do you know every single one of you, the Lord has works prepared for you. Ephesians 2 says that he, you are his poetry. Fuzzy feelings, amen. Prepared for good works. Or he has good works prepared for you. So we want to equip you and I, each other. We want to just work for the Lord. We want to serve the Lord because of only in light, as Colton has said, of how he has first loved us. I owe him everything. He doesn't demand anything, but I owe him everything. And so the rest of my life is about serving him. Um, you know, I love what jo- Joseph was saying about the pressure washer. It's like what this means is that every single thing about your life now is about him and his kingdom. If you say you follow him. It's not like a there's no like a there's no like. Maybe I kind of want that. Maybe I don't. If that's like questioned in your heart, if everything in your life is about him and his kingdom, then you need to pause and reconsider whether or not you want to follow him. And if you believe in him, you know, Jesus went around not trying to attract the crowd. He actually tried to uh, disperse the crowd quite often by saying things like, hey, you guys need to consider the cost of following me unless you forsake all your mother, your father, your husband, your wife, your kids. Unless you forsake all to follow me, you cannot be my disciple. That's not a very popular thing to say. It doesn't like exactly fill rooms, you know. He also went around saying things like, oh, no, no, no. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. It's like, it's not the like angelic, gentle, fuzzy Jesus that I've like seen pictures of, you know, but that's the Jesus that lived, the real Jesus. That's like, no, like I demand in one sense or I am uh, evoking in you complete unapologetic, undivided obedience for your good, obviously. That's where we get to find out if we actually believe he's good. If I believe he's good, I'll trust him with anything that he says, even if it sounds ridiculous. I've got to forsake my wife. I love my wife. My child, he's cute. The heck, Jesus? You know? But if I can let my heart just not move past, he's good, he's saying it, must be good. Don't know what that means, really. If I can just keep myself there, I think it works out quite nice. More than working out quite nice, it's just, he's Lord, you know. But here's a letter that I wrote to River. So if you don't call River home, maybe you, you know, are curious about that or whatever. Uh, here, here's a little letter, more of a testimony also. A few years back, I got tired of my life not being about Jesus alone. I was a student pastor at New Spring. Love New Spring. Love the people there. I love our worship nights where we get to worship with all kinds of bodies. Chris is, by the way, this is just a, such a side tangent, but Chris Allen. How many of you guys know Chris Allen? Okay, his uh, son, Eli. This has just been blowing my mind. Some of y'all are like, good God, you've talked about this 20 times. Um, he, Chris's son, Eli, I forget how old he is, um, seven. Um, 
we're sitting down, like getting ready to worship at the last worship night a couple weeks ago. And I'm like talking to him and he's like eye contact talking to me. No, like, I mean, he's just like locked in and like we're having a conversation and I'm like starting to get kind of like insecure. I'm like, oh my gosh, he's like, he like carries this conversation better than I do. Like I'm starting to get kind of distracted and he's just letting this thing roll. And he's like, so what did you do today? And I'm like, who are you? <laughs> and I'm like, I can have a better conversation with you than 80% of the adults I interact with. Um, anyways, I just like, I love, uh, there's nothing to that story besides I was just utterly amazed by that. But I love those worship nights and I want to encourage you to keep treasuring those things. But a few years back, I was a, I was a student pastor at New Spring. I'd been there. Gosh, probably by this time, six-ish years, six or seven years. I've been following Jesus for just about the same. And, you know, the Lord started to interrupt my life. A few years back, I got tired of my life not being about Jesus alone. When it was Jesus plus ministry or plus secure finances or plus a pretty family or plus good friends or plus good feelings, I was always left exhausted, confused, and disappointed. Which was also confusing and disappointing that I was confused and disappointed. <laughs> at that point, I was faced with a decision, or at least these were the two roads in my mind. I know there were other options here, but these were the two decisions that I came up with, two ways I could deal with this problem. I could fake it and act like Jesus was everything to me, or I could throw in the towel on the whole Jesus thing. I truthfully chose to fake it a good bit, that he was everything. And at some point, I repented and gave into the hunger pains deep within and just let the Lord have me in the secret place. To this day, I don't understand most of what's happened. I don't think I've ever read that without just getting blasted. To this day, I don't understand most of what's happened or happening in me. And I can't really explain what happened besides saying yes to his loving face and the promise that Jesus would baptize me in the Holy Spirit. I wholeheartedly went after him and he has not disappointed the Holy Spirit burnt up every idol and all that was left was Jesus. Again, I was a follower of Jesus at this time. I was a disciple of Jesus, or I would call myself a disciple of Jesus at this time. I wanted to follow him. I wanted to be faithful to him. But there were so many idols in my heart that the Holy Ghost had not burnt up yet because I hadn't let him in. My life and therefore my family and our family in River will be about Jesus. We'll just be about making him known. Praising him, going after him, celebrating him, honoring him, enjoying him, being an absolute fool for him. That's where we're going forever. When I say I got tired a few years back of my life not being about Jesus alone, what I mean is that the words of Jesus convicted me deeply and I saw how unfaithful I was being to him. I wasn't following a feeling or something. Or his words like Matthew 6.22 when he talks about seeking first the kingdom of heaven and I'll add everything else to you. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm like just woefully unfaithful to you, Lord. And I'm seeking a thousand other things and calling myself a devoted follower of you. It was his, his words like Revelation 2. It was really just, I mean, I read that one day and I was like, oh my gosh. It talks about like, oh, I know your good works, everything that you've done. It's awesome, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. Repent, therefore, and return. Otherwise, I'm going to take away your lampstand. And I mean, I remember just being so convicted of my unfaithfulness to him. Truthfully, I still don't understand all of those things. There were many other things in that season that continue to convict me. And so much of his words, I just know deep in my spirit and my soul that he wants all of me. I would have questions like, 
well, I thought I already had the Holy Spirit. What's going on here? Like, I thought I've been doing all these things for the Lord. It just wouldn't compute. It wouldn't make sense. But again, my heart needed to yield to him. I just trust him and I say yes to him because I know he loves me. Being submitted to Jesus truly is the safest place and obeying Jesus is what he deserves after he bled and died for me. I love how real and living and active he is. This repentance really is such a gift. If you're looking for a place to belong, this is not the house for you. If you're looking for a place to find friends, this is not the house for you. And if you're looking for a place to be entertained, this is not the house for you. If you're looking for a place to have all your questions answered, this is also not the house for you. You can feel free to stop coming at any point. If you're looking for a place to worship Jesus, pray with Jesus, be taught by Jesus, be consumed by the fire of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the kingdom of heaven on earth, then this is the house for you. If you're looking for his presence, this is the house for you. I want to read that again. I just want you to do as Katie has recently said, a bit of an honest audit, you know? Is this why you're here right now? If you're looking for a place to worship Jesus, pray with Jesus, be taught by Jesus, be consumed by the fire of the Holy Spirit for the sake of the kingdom of heaven on earth, then this is the house for you. If you're looking for his presence, this is the house for you. I am so thankful for the way that we're like leaning into um, the words and ways of Jesus in a real and like tangible way. In a way that like is seen in our lives, like with every part of our lives. And that's certainly, make no mistake, nobody arrives at like perfect, uh, perfect completion of that. That's like the rest of our lives we're going to be learning how to do things like turn the other cheek. Or like believe we're blessed when somebody just cracks into our pressure washer and all that kind of stuff. But like we're going to be learning how to live that out truly. But we're going to be doing it. Matthew seven twelve it says, therefore, whatever you want. Men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the whole law and the prophets. We're going to do a little bit of like uh, biblical history today. We pretty much do every Sunday. Um, But I really want to kind of get into this. Everybody knows Jesus was an American, right? (laughs) I know it sounds kind of funny and like a joke when I'm saying it, but it's truthfully so important. Everybody knows Jesus didn't speak English, right? It wasn't a thing then. Palestinian, most likely speaking Aramaic, in the middle of a fishing town, a rabbi, just going around saying crazy things. What we've been reading, what we've been teaching from, what we've been preaching, what we've been learning how to live out in our house churches is this sermon that we've come to call Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is literally on a mountain, and he's telling a bunch of people who are trying to follow him because they've been attracted to him by the signs, the wonders, the power. He'd been healing people. He'd been casting out demons. And so they're attracted to this new rabbi, curious for sure of whether or not he's the Messiah. So they're sitting on a, ho- on a hillside, you know, not to repeat this for the thousandth, thousandth time, but a lot of them trekking a long way to get there. They're sitting by a hillside and he's just saying ridiculous thing after ridiculous thing after unbelievably wise thing after ground-breaking thing after another. Demanding thing after another, like saying you gotta, your righteousness has to exceed the Pharisees. If you get cursed, bless them. Just, I mean, a beautiful, the most beautiful sermon. Uh, just about 13-minute sermon, which is challenging. Um, if you go read Matthew 5 through 7, it's about 13 minutes. Trust me, I'm trying to be like, man, if Jesus preached that way, maybe I need to preach that way. 
got some work to do. Um, but I want to go all the way back again. This is so important. We learn the scriptures. When the Bible talks about the word of God, it's not talking about the 66 books that you have in front of you. It's talking about the message. That word word means the logos of God. This Bible contains the logos, the message of God in the person of Jesus. But when we talk about the logos of God, we're talking about God's message to all of humanity, which takes some uh, devotion, effort, study, humility to come into the scriptures. Let the scriptures tell us what God's trying to tell us. And it's a beautiful story. It's got all things from narrative literature to poetry. A third of your Bible is poetry. Did you know that? Maybe you didn't know that. Now you do. It's amazing. Third of it's poetry. Imagine being a prophet and you're just speaking in poetry, these crazy convicting messages. But a third of your scriptures are poetry. And so from the beginning of the end, Genesis to Revelation, it's this story. It's this message. It's this heart of God being revealed to all of humanity, trying to let us know what God's heart is for us. And it begins with the father wanting fellowship with humanity, a garden. He wants fellowship with humanity. Humanity rebels against that. God reinstates his heart a million times. It begins with Abraham, right? Does anybody remember what he called Abraham to be? A blessing to the what? Right? He said, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to the nations. Your seed is. And Abraham's like, okay, well, we'll see about that. Middle of the desert just gives him this promise. Abraham trusts it, continues. God accounts it to him as righteousness. He then forms a family, a nation called Israel. That nation is founded by this man, Moses, who went and rescued Israel from the slavery they were in. And they are called by God. Does anybody remember what God calls them in Exodus 19? Does anybody remember? Come on, say it out loud. What's, go ahead. Oh, oh, I don't know. Oh, you were about to say it. <laughs> oh, come on. A holy nation, a royal, royal priesthood, and a special treasure. The order of that, you know, obviously different. But a special treasure. He says, you're my special treasure, a royal priesthood, and a holy nation. So, like, just take a second, and I want you to pause. This isn't about just rehearsing something just so that you know it in your head. I need you to understand the scriptures and the man Jesus, Yeshua, which, again, Jesus is his English name. Yeshua is his real name. The man Jesus and where he comes from and what his message was from. It was not from our own ideas of heaven and hell. It was from the story about how the Father loves humanity, wants fellowship with humanity, wants to fill this world with his beauty and for us to work with God. (laughs) That's why it's a garden where we work with him. It's not a, you know, I don't know what. I was going to make a joke about something. It was going to be probably horrible, so I just decided to keep on going. But now I'm outing myself right now. But it was a garden where we would work with him. And he forms a nation of people, a, a group of people that they're tasked with bringing back his blessing to the world because we, humanity, rebelled against that fellowship. We decided to trust in our own ways. This is Genesis 2 and 3, right? Our trust in our own ways. We inherited this nature that liked to go our own way, tried to decide our own way of doing things. Instead of feasting on life, we chose to feast on the knowledge of good and evil. We said, we're better gods than God. You're like, I've never said that. I was like, yes, you did. I did too. We inherited this nature. And so what we find in the scriptures is that God is constantly trying to come back into fellowship with what he called an unfaithful bride. 
He had different ways, different metaphors of explaining what his relationship was like. He inserted himself in a time of Israel, the ancient Near East. This is getting really nerdy about it, but you need to know these things. This is amazing. It blows my mind. He inserted himself into a time that would declare and display his heart for all of creation. He inserted himself into the nation of Israel and said, this is kind of what it's like for me to try to have fellowship with humanity. It's just constantly one step forward, 25 steps back. You read Kings and it's like they would do something good, but then they would give themselves over to idols over and over and over again. You're like, why am I reading this over and over and over again with these names I cannot pronounce? Jehu, Jehoshaphat, you know, whatever. I have a thing that tells me how to pronounce them, so I've gotten a little bit better. But sometimes when I'm reading them, I'm like, blah, 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 what? Why would you, this nation of Israel that's supposed to be a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a special treasure, they're living as anything but. And so the Lord is like trying to dis- display, declare to us, the Father is trying to declare to us that there is a massive problem that no matter how hard we want to be obedient, no matter how much we might be genuine in wanting to obey God, we were so incapable of doing it because we had put ourselves under slavery. We had come under death. Death was our master. Evil was his ruler. And we served our own flesh, our own lust as a result. And so God says, you know what? Like a good father who loves his children, I'm going to take it upon myself to solve this whole problem. I'm going to sacrifice what matters most to me. And in the fullness of time, he sends a son born of a woman. Galatians, Paul says it in Galatians, like when the fullness of time had come. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth a son. Jesus comes into, onto the scene, and it says that he was one who learned obedience. Uh, this is going to kind of mess with your little Jesus picture a little bit, but the word carpenter is, uh, actually means, uh, it means builder or learner. And Jesus, in Aramaic, it means learner. Jesus spoke Aramaic, so chances are Jesus was not so much a carpenter as he was a learner. Sorry for everybody who's based their carpentry ministry off of Jesus. Keep doing it. Just have fun. But in it, by the way, if he was a carpenter... Uh, carpentry wasn't a thing really back then. Stonemasons were. There weren't much trees in Palestine. It's tough, I know. Burst your little Jesus bubble a little bit, you know. It's like, let the man be. He was in the synagogue. Why was he in the synagogue? Because he was paying attention to all. He was learning the word. That literally means that he was a learner. He was, and then we have that in the scriptures. Remember, they come and try to find Jesus when they lost him. His parents are like, where were you? And he's like, don't you know about my father's business? And he was in the temple learning from the rabbis. Okay, so why is all that important right now to what Matthew 7, 12 has to say? Here's how that, that authority looked like. You know, backpedal a little bit here to, to Abraham. And then God makes a nation. God makes a nation. When he made that nation, he wanted to be that nation's king. So this is so important. Yahweh, who is the God that sent Jesus, he wanted to be their king. Yahweh wanted to be their king. Israel said, no. We want a king just like everybody else around us. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to force you to have no king. So he warns Israel. says, don't do that. It's not going to go great, but I'll give you a king anyway. Gives him a king. Those kings were appointed by priests and prophets. Okay? So you would have a priest. Back in the first king was Saul. Okay? He would be appointed by Samuel. Then there would be a priesthood that would anoint him and then it would be this whole like big thing and everybody would know, oh, that's the king because the priesthood and the prophet anointed the king. Okay, so you have this 
story in Kings you're following, and then Chronicles a little bit too, and the prophets. And you have the story that you're following where Israel is constantly, again, they're being unfaithful to the law, the Torah, which is not just the written law, but also a ton of oral law of how to like live what you read in the first five books of your Bible out. They would have commentary on how to live that out, and they're just being unfaithful to it. They're just doing their own thing. Judges says that they would go their own way, and then when you get into Kings, it says that they just served idols, and they offered their kids up to fire, and just horrible things. They would serve these pagan gods all around them, and they would mix Yahweh in, and he was like, nope, can't be about that. I'm jealous for you. I can be your only God. And so what happens is Yahweh keeps warning them through prophets, and he says, if you keep not serving me, another nation's going to take you because you're not going to be faithful to me. You're going to make yourself vulnerable, and there are other nations that come and take the nation of Israel. Those nations being Babylon, Persia, Assyria, they come. This is the end of Kings. You can read about it. It's horrible. It's just so sad. And you see all of these horrible things happening and Israel's just being so unfaithful. They get taken captive by these other nations. Are you tracking with me so far? At least a little bit. It's okay. I'm flying quickly here, okay? But they they get taken captive. They go, think about you as a faithful Israelite. You're trying to be faithful to the Lord, but the king that you're serving, the priesthood, and all of the prophets, they're corrupt. They're not following the Lord. And so the Lord keeps warning people. This is why when you read Isaiah, it's like, gosh, this is so sad. What's good about this? Because he's constantly telling them, if you stop, if you don't stop, there's going to be some punishment. And the punishment isn't God doing it. The punishment is God allowing you to choose your own way and making yourself vulnerable to these nations that don't have your good at heart. So you have kings, priests, prophets. Israel gets taken captive. They get taken captive. Once they get taken captive, there's a couple of things. What you read in Malachi to the beginning of Matthew, there's about 400 years there. Okay, In between that 400 years, between Malachi and Matthew, what ends up happening is the kingship, the monarchy, dies. Okay, So we have no more kings, right? Right? Tracking? No more kings. The priesthood, totally corrupt, gone. No more priests. Israel's captive to these other people. If you go read Ezra and Nehemiah, they tried to come back once they got there and tried to redo the temple and the priesthood. It was to no avail. Just, just you know, uh, went out. Prophets, the word of prophets, they ceased. The school of prophets ceased. They weren't allowed to prophesy openly and they were obedient to that. And so you hear nothing from the people of God. So what happened and what arose in that time were what's called rabbis, teachers. And so what people who had come back from being taken captive, again, Israel was taken captive, people who had come back from being taken captive, this is right before the time of Jesus, okay? People who had come back from being taken captive, they wanted to be faithful to the law, the Torah. Remember, this is thousands of years old at this point. They wanted to be faithful to Moses, to what we read in Genesis through Deuteronomy, they wanted to be faithful to that, but there was no more kings to uphold that law. There was no more priesthood. There was no more prophets. So rabbis would come and they would, they would basically be uh, teachers. They would devote their whole lives to studying the Torah. And the Torah, again, was the written law, Genesis through Deuteronomy, and what's called the Midrash, which is uh, the oral law, the commentary on how to live that law. out. And they would devote themselves to this. So rabbis were like the, the representatives of Yahweh now. Where kings, priests, and prophets used to represent Yahweh, the rabbis now did. And so Jesus is, when the fullness of time had come, this was the fullness of time. Rabbis representing God to God's people, and they were just trying to live out the Torah. And so what we find in Matthew seven twelve is this interesting saying, where Jesus is now summarizing everything that he's taught up until this point, five and six, with this one phrase. 
Um, one of the rabbis in Jesus' day, his name is Rabbi Hillel. He was like the most notable rabbi during that day. And there's this story about Rabbi Hillel. So, again, just keep in mind, rabbis, honored. If you've ever watched any kind of show, specifically The Chosen about the Jesus, they do about Jesus, they do a really good job of like showing you that these rabbis were like honored. And they formed groups or groups of people like the Sadducees or the Pharisees, but these rabbis were like the honored people because they would guard the way of God. This is how we stay faithful to the Torah. There's a story about Rabbi Hillel who is during the time of Jesus, the life of Jesus. He was one of the rabbis there that Jesus could have been learning from when he's in the synagogue. There's a story written in some, some you know, old Jewish literature, things like the Talmud and other things, about a man coming to two rabbis, Rabbi Hillel and Rabbi Shammai, and he's saying, can you teach, I'll follow your way of living if you can teach me all of the law and the prophets standing on one leg. And this man apparently just couldn't handle anything more. He's like, just boil it all down to me. I don't really want to read about goats and whatever else. Just tell me how to live this thing out. So he asked two rabbis to boil it all down to one thing. One rabbi, Shammai, says, I can't do that. I don't want to degrade the Lord. And I also don't have the ability to do that. Rabbi Hillel, this is what he said. Listen to what Rabbi Hillel said about how to sum up all the law and the prophets. He said, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. All the rest is commentary. It sounds familiar, doesn't it? Let's read that again. What is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. Why am I going down this whole rabbit trail about rabbis? Because Jesus almost certainly, almost certainly knew about this saying. And just like, let's just notice the difference between the two. Let's read rabbis. Uh, Rabbi Hillel's statement about how to live out the law and the prophets. It says, what is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else. This is the whole law. The rest is commentary. Jesus said, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. It's the slightest of difference, but you better believe he was announcing with what he's saying that I am not only the king, the priest, the prophet, but I am also the great rabbi, the great teacher. I am everything combined. You no longer need the rabbinical order. You no longer need the kings. You no longer need the priests. You no longer need the prophets. I'm all of those things. I'm the priest that makes the perfect sacrifice. I'm the prophet that declares the word of God. And I'm the rabbi that teaches you how to live out the word of God. And by the way, I am the king of the whole universe. <laughs> That's the one who loves us. That's the one we say we follow. You know, for you right now, that doesn't strike much of an emotional cur- uh, like chord because, you know, you've not been growing up under rabbis. You know, school for a Hebrew child or for a child back then was mostly rabbinical training. They were like spending most of the day either playing or teaching the Torah. So for him to, in essence, be like, yes, 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 Rabbis tried their best, but here's the way. Whatever you want men to do to you, do unto them. There's this different spirit about that. Is there not? Whatever, like the rabbi saying, again, whatever, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to anyone else, is a little bit different than whatever you want someone else to do to, do to you, do unto them. There's this like forward action to all of Jesus's teaching that says, no, 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 not just about what is done to you, but you, how you are going to do that for others. And it requires this belief, this trust. It's a totally different way of thinking that Jesus would liken to or talk about in a way 
like this. He would say, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. The Holy Spirit put this on my heart this morning just to mention the call of the first disciples in regards to all of this. You know, we're going to get over the next couple of weeks, we're going to get into like the final warnings in Matthew 5 through 7 that are just like so sobering and so amazing. And before we do, you know, we're going to take a little bit of time here, the rest of our time together to wait on the Holy Spirit, to receive the Holy Spirit. And as we do, I just I want you to consider the call of the first disciples. It looked and I want you to I want you to pay attention to how it looked. Okay, not so much what was said, but what it looked like. It looked a little bit like this. If these guys are brothers, Peter and Andrew, Colton's Peter, Connor's Andrew, they're fishing. Jesus comes up and just says, hey. Follow me. And they just drop their nets and they go with him. Not much of an explanation. Right to work, right to learning. You know the word disciple means learner. Now, again, unless you have the ears to hear it, by faith, it sounds so contradictory to knowing first that the Lord loves you. I wonder what it has to take for me to just follow him without question. I would say, most likely the belief that he loves me. And I can sit and wonder about it or I can choose to trust it. And these people, these first disciples, and they weren't just the only ones. And this is over and over again where he would say a word, do something, and people would just follow him all of their life on the table. They didn't have time to consider it. And those guys, fishermen, done. There was no like wondering whether or not God's will is for them to be fishermen. It was just, I don't know, I'm following him. You know, one of the things I don't want our time in Matthew 5 through 7 over the past couple of months to be is just you knowing what Jesus said. And like it filling your head. I hope, I hope it just totally, as it does mine, I hope his words, his ways, his kingdom just totally reorients the way you live your entire life. And I mean your entire life. For the upteenth time, I'm telling you, I sit in front of the Lord like so often. I'm like, Lord, am I still doing what you want me to do? And you better believe if the answer is never no, we're changing it. You know, like, <laughs> this is just personal testimony and also just some honesty here. You know, I didn't, like, choose to be a pastor. There's this, like, wicked thing in the world that makes pastoring seem, like, really cool and, like, a, a profession you should get into because it, like, I don't know. It's just, like, it's so backwards and perverse. No, 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 no. The Lord said, this is how you're going to serve the people that I give to you or that I put under your care. So go do it. So I've just been doing it. Most of the time, not knowing what I'm doing and doing a horrible job at it in my own eyes. But I, the reason I say that is because I think sometimes we lose sight that we're all, every single one of us are called to lay, if we say we follow him, lay our lives down and say, Lord, what would you have? It's a very simple thing. It's like, Lord, I want to follow you and then just start following him. 
I would say you don't even have to tell, ask him what you want him, what he wants you to do. Just start following him and you'll find out. Like, just imagine. I just want to like, just play this out. These are the kind of things I play out in the secret place of the Lord. He just, I feel like he like, puts like, movies in front of my brain. You know? I like, was sitting there one day. I was like, Lord, what was it like for those first disciples? And I like, started seeing this picture of like, Peter and Andrew following Jesus. And they're like, kind of like, what are we going to do? You know, like, just asking each other, like, what are, what are, what's going to be next? And Am I supposed to go back? And, like, and they're just asking these things. And Jesus is quite unaware of them. But the action of following him is what just matters. And I, I feel like a lot of us just get into our head with these things. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Um, I want to get into a little bit of a time where we wait on the Holy Spirit. We let the love of God. The Holy Spirit is the only one who can fill and show and convince me that God truly loves me. Like I see Jesus, but the Holy Spirit, like that is just ideas and concepts and far off beautiful things until the Holy Spirit does a supernatural work inside of me. One that I cannot put English words to. Like, well, how does that happen? Open up your heart and trust him. Paul talks about it like this, like this. No one can save Jesus as Lord except by the Spirit. It also talks about how the spiritual man, you know that, like Colton mentioned this earlier, God is spirit. So I cannot access him in my flesh. I only access him in my spirit. And the spirit part of me affects every other part of me. So you're trying to get your mind to comprehend God is a just dead end game. It's that I have to open myself up to him. Let the hunger cries of my soul be satisfied in trust and faith in him and receive him. There's a couple of places in scripture where disciples of Jesus, people who are learning his ways, as you have been, you've been learning his ways. That's what we've been doing. You know, Wednesday to Sunday, Wednesday to Sunday, you're learning his ways. You're being taught his ways. You're being encouraged to walk in his ways. You are a disciple of Jesus if you've been participating in that. Yes. Okay. So some of the early church fathers, they, uh, and apostles, they showed up to a group of people in Acts 19 who had heard the word preached and they had gone to their homes. They had like accepted the Lord as savior of their life. I need a savior. The Lord had saved them. They were baptized in water. They had gone to their homes. They were trying to learn the ways of Jesus. And Paul visits them back again. And he comes to them and he says, this is Acts 19. He's like, have you guys ever heard of the Holy Spirit? The word calls them disciples. And they're like, we haven't ever heard of such a thing. And Paul lays hands on them. They receive the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues. Uh, Jesus mentioned this a couple of times in the first couple of, in, in every gospel, there's a phrase that John the Baptist says that says, I am going to baptize you in water. He will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. Every single one of your gospels, you go read it. He will. Here's what I found out about uh, a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Number one, it's so necessary. We could just stop there. I just need the Holy Spirit. And if I ask him for the Holy Spirit, Jesus will just immerse me in the Holy Spirit. That word baptize is immerse. It means totally envelop, wrap around, totally submerse someone in whatever the thing is. The picture is when you're underwater, you can't do much besides just be under the water. I mean, you're just like at the mercy of the water until you get above the water. You're immersed in the water. And 
where you're immersed in the spirit. And so what I know is that the Holy Spirit sealed me. The word says that the Holy Spirit sealed me when I believed in Jesus. That word sealed means it literally means a promise ring, an engagement ring. It means that he purchased me with his blood and said, that's mine. And I said, yes. He didn't just say that's mine. And I I said yes to that. That's mine. And I put the ring on, you know, put the ring on for the future of possession. So um, the picture is very simple when it comes to the Holy Ghost is Holy Spirit is God. Yahweh is three in one father, son, spirit. Father, son, spirit. And the spirit is given to me as first a seal that says, I have received the Lord. I am engaged, so to speak, to the Lord. That language breaks down, but in our day, it does help with that, the picture of it. I'm engaged to the Lord unto marriage. And so that marriage works two ways. I'm not forced into that marriage. That would be compulsive enough. And that's not the way he loves He says, I want you, I receive that, and then he waits for me to come. He waits for me to participate. He waits for me to say, yes, I still want this. You know, some of you guys, when you were engaged, ladies, if you at any point were like, this ain't it, you had that right and that authority to say this ain't it. Just because you were engaged doesn't mean that you are married. Why does the Lord do this? I'm not entirely sure, but I know it's something along the lines of he wants all of my heart authentically. He doesn't want it because I know that it's the right thing. He wants me to want him because he's so free of insecurity. He's so free of needing to be needed. He wants true fellowship with me. And yes, he poured out his blood for me. Yes, he sealed me with the Holy Spirit. Yes, he made his intentions clear to me. He got down on one knee, so to speak, and said, will you marry me, please? And I said, yes. And then he's waiting for me to make that thing real. This is why the fruit of the Holy Spirit is literally the word, the Greek word for sexual offspring. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control is the fruit of being one with the Spirit. And so I just, I need to be filled, according to the scriptures, I need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and I need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit, and I need to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. That means all day, every day, every part of my life, every season of my life, I need the Holy Ghost in my life. Isn't that awesome? That I need God to love God, I need God to follow God, I need God to know God, I need God for everything. You're like any of you guys trying to make. I used to do this with like the Holy Spirit thing. Like, well, that messes with this theological. I was like, well, you, your little boxes don't don't work on God. You're just gonna get all up in your head about it, like I did. If you can stay in a place of childlikeness and just trust what the Word has to say and testimonies of the Word that people who were following Him knew they needed Him. I mean, imagine those people in Acts 19. Paul shows up. You guys are disciples. They're like, yeah, we love following Jesus. He's like, have you ever heard of the Holy Spirit? No. You need them. They lay hands. I mean, how, what if it was like that? All right. So here's what I want to do. And I mean, I, I genuinely mean this. You know, if you have somewhere to be or you're not interested in that, please, you know, carry about your day and go on and sweat your tail off because it's so hot outside. And, you know, do what you need to do. Um, but if you're interested in and if you want the Holy Spirit before we go and we celebrate in baptism, um, I just want you guys to, in this moment, you know, Sophie and Madison, they might come and sing and play and we'll all just make melody to the Lord. But I want you to just wait on the Lord. When Jesus told the disciples about the gift of the Holy Spirit, he told them to go wait. 
Imagine that. He said, I'm going to send a promise from on high. Go to a room and wait. What promise? They had no idea. Just, do, do you see what it does to your soul when you just say, okay. It's what it's all about anyway. You know, it's not about whether or not you get the shakes and start speaking in tongues. That might happen to you. Congratulations. Edify yourself. Have fun. Honor the Lord. That's not what it's about. What it's about is you and my and my heart like truly believing that if I sat here for three hours waiting on the Lord, it's worth it. Think about how foolish they had to feel. Go to an upper room and wait on, wait on me. He, they were already, their heads were already spinning because he had appeared again from the dead. And they're like, what the heck is going on? And then he says, go and wait in the room. And they're like, and then he ascends into heaven, by the way. And you're like, what? But their heart, they just are like, I know whatever he tells me to do, good. Yeah. So I go wait in the room and look like a fool. I'm sure they had people coming up. What are y'all doing? I don't know, waiting. For what? Gifts. <laughs> Some of us don't know how to wait just simply because everything is so immediate. Now, I don't want to get on too much of a tangent here because I totally could. But everything you like, are, your mind is renewed in the lie by technology that everything has to be and can be immediate always. You, you know, have a good laugh about how all of us just start having a conniption fit as soon as the Internet goes out for two minutes. Like, that is not working. It's like, well, just relax. Maybe it's going to come back in 60 seconds. We don't know how to wait, you know. Like, I don't know where my friend is. I don't know where my friend is. I was like, well, shut the location up and maybe you're not supposed to know. Maybe you'll find out when you talk to them. But we do, we've got to learn how to wait on the Lord. A lot of you guys like, think you have theological questions about the Holy Spirit and you don't. You just need to learn how to wait. I'm telling you, I've been filled. I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit undeniably. I had an encounter with the Lord, several encounters with the Lord where I didn't know what was going on, what was going on in my body. Some people in this room have had physical encounters with the Holy Spirit. And some people, man, it's been over the span of seasons. And this is what I know. I want more. Because what it's left me with is eyes to see the Lord for who he truly is and a heart that really wants more of who he is. And it's like this constant present mother in my life that guides me, protects me, advocates for me. I need him. I need her. I need him. So let's wait on the Lord for a little bit. Um, again, full permission. We're not like, you know, this isn't like, this is what the Lord said to do this morning, okay? Um, full permission to go and do your thing. Uh, go about your day. But we're going to wait on the Lord. And something that I want to like encourage you to do is just like, those of you who have kids, I have a kid. I know my kid is in there right now, probably eating or doing something. I don't know what. Who knows? God, you know, something fun. You know, getting pushed, getting pushing somebody else, whatever. I don't know. Like having a good old time. I want to encourage all of you, all of you. Some of you maybe have something to go to after this or whatever. You know, maybe you're hungry and I don't, I don't know. Here's what it means to wait on the Lord. It means to wait only on the Lord. Like, that sounds ridiculous and duh. No, like seriously, wait on the Lord. If I'm thinking about whatever else I need to do, I'm not waiting on the Lord. I'm filling time. So we're going to wait on the Lord. A uh, little last testimony about this. There was a, what's called like, I think it's called like the Jesus movement or whatever. There were these gatherings that they would have. Uh, 
And one of the ways that they would gather in the midweek, multiple nights a week, is they would come and gather and they would all sit in a room and they would wait on the presence of the Holy Spirit to come. And it's like testified that there were times when they would sit there for five minutes and then the Holy Spirit would come and some of the leaders would bless what the Lord was doing. Like people would get up and they would start speaking in tongues. Somebody would interpret. Somebody would preach a message. Somebody would sing a song. And the leaders in the room said, yes, that's the Spirit of the Lord. That's not some other spirit because those are real. Right. And then there were times when like they would sit there for hours and hours and hours and somebody would get up and start to like preach a word. And they'd kindly be like, no, please sit down. And they'd keep waiting. Think about that. You know, like Hannah gets up like I got a song. I was like, no, let's sit down. <laughs> because they had such a high reverence for the Holy Spirit. They said, we don't want to be participating in anything that is not of him. And we want that to be, according to the scriptures, subject to the prophets. The spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. And so we might sit here for 20 minutes and I might come back up and be like, let's, let's go. Can't wait to baptize Emma. Or we might be here for a little while longer. And, you know, I don't know. But it means let's wait on the Lord. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. Hey, if the Lord, uh, those of you who pastor and lead in our house, if the Lord puts somebody on your heart to go lay hands on them and pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, you're like one of those disciples in Acts 19. It's like, I ain't got that. You know, good way to know if you have the Holy Spirit. Uh, tongues are in your life, a present gift in your life. Not the only way, but a good way to know if that's uh, in your life. And you have a desire to follow the Lord. Good, good ways to know if you're filled with the Holy Spirit that you have an actual desire to follow the Lord. It's not out of obligation and right and wrong. I got freed up with the obligation, right and wrong stuff as soon as I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Um, we could preach about the Holy Spirit another day because I could talk about it forever. But let's wait on the Lord for a little bit and let's just trust Him with what He wants to do.